everyone. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about our venue consulting. We have broken up our offerings into four distinct needs, design, sales and client experience, marketing, and those all-important SOPs. You can take advantage of one or all of these tricky spots for your venue. If you want to learn more and get a few more details, head on over to hustleandgather.com to see how we can work together and reach your venue goals. All right, let's get to today's show. I have like embraced authenticity and vulnerability. I think my whole life, I don't know how to be a fake person. I can't do it. I can't like be someone I'm not. And so in the spirit of that, I tend to overshare maybe, or just like give more honest opinions about things. This is a theme in my life, you know, um, where I write something that maybe gets misinterpreted. So like, I mean, this kind of all started cheese boarding because I almost got fired from teaching. Welcome to Hustling Gather, a podcast about inspiring the everyday entrepreneur to take the leap. I'm Dana. And I'm Courtney. And we are two sisters who love business. On this show, we talk about the ups and downs, the hustle, and the reward at the end of the journey. And we know all of the challenges that come with starting a business, between operating our wedding venue, doing speaking and consulting, and starting our luxury wedding planning company, we wake up and hustle every day. But we love what we do. And today, we're talking with Courtney Bowman about turning her hobby into a hustle. Courtney's the owner of Raleigh Cheesy, which creates custom charcuterie boards in the triangle. For those of you that are listening, today we are drinking Petite Syrah from Biltmore Estate. You can order the wine yourself with the link in our show notes. We are so excited to have you. Hi. Charcuterie. Who would have thought? Thanks. I know. Who would have thought? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So when and why did you even start making charcuterie boards? Oh, that's a great question. So it all started in the summer of 2019. So I had felt a little creatively stifled. I was a middle school teacher for seven years and I'd felt a little creatively stifled, not being able to kind of fulfill that part of my brain. And so I had seen that a couple of other people had started making these like beautiful gourmet charcuterie boards and my mom was like, you should really try this like for Bug's second birthday. My daughter was turning two in July. So I made my first one July, 2019. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. It's so much fun. And it was like combining delicious food, combining art. And I made, just continued to like make them for friends and family. And by like October, I had made four or five and I was like, that's enough to start a business. Right. So <laughs> obviously, <laughs> Yeah, clearly. Totally. <laughs> I clearly knew exactly what I was doing. Uh -huh. So yeah, October 1st, I was like, I couldn't find anybody in the triangle who was doing it. So I wanted to make it obvious where we were located, what we had to do with, called it Raleigh Cheesy, started an Instagram, posted literally every picture I had, <laughs> and it just took off. And so very grateful for the people at the beginning who booked me having like made five boards in my life. And I was like, wow, thanks for that trust. <laughs> it's so true though. Like you literally blew up overnight. Yes. I just remember one time it I was, was like, fast. oh, Courtney's making charcuterie boards. And the next day it's like, have you heard of Raleigh Cheesy? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, but how do you know about Raleigh Cheesy? <laughs> just as massive. Yeah, it was very, I was not ready. So mm. yeah, offline Raleigh Durham, they featured me in their email, their weekly email that goes out to like 40,000 people on, on like day two 
of me having this Instagram. They were like, oh, we're going to put you in our, you know, newsletter. And so I started getting all these orders and they were like, oh, let me see your menu. Let me see your pricing sheet. And I was like, yeah, that I have one of those. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, I don't have any more pictures to post. Like I had already posted all the pictures I had. So I had to like get a photo shoot with a friend and fake it till you make it. Right. Right. Totally. So Raleigh Cheesy, isn't the name a pun on really cheesy? Mm. Yes. I knew I had to incorporate a pun in yeah. some way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because, I don't know. I'm a, I wanted it to be very easy to roll off the tongue. But again, I wanted you to hear it, know where we were and know where, like generally what we had to do with. Yeah. So. so did you realize how intense it would be to run a business? No, not at all. I mean- I had, yeah, I'd done hand lettering. Yes, right. and, yeah, yeah, so your backstory is, this isn't your first kind of side hustle. Right. This was your second, right. or the second that I know about. So you did hand lettering for a while. Yeah, like four four mm-hmm. years. And I think that never really had any traction. And I knew I wasn't like the best in the industry in Raleigh. And so I was just very content with that being as this is as big as it's going to get, mm-hmm. it's always going to be a side hustle. And so I kind of had that attitude when starting Raleigh Cheesy, like, oh, this is just going to be a side hustle on the side of teaching. Like I never in a million years thought I'd quit my job for it. Mm. Never thought I'd have a storefront. Like that was not even in the game plan. It was just like the side creative outlet and it's really fun. And then <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it in words. Yeah, like you're just going to change, like arrange dairy and cured meat and pretty shapes and add some crackers. So like, what was the, but what was the turning point for you where you were like, this is no longer just a side hustle. Like in order for me to do this right, it has to be my full-time legit, like quit teaching, you know, do it. So two weeks after I started it, my husband lost his job and that was tough, but it also, we just realized like, had he not lost his job, I wouldn't have been able to do half of the stuff I was doing with Raleigh Cheesy because I was able to go like straight from teaching into making cheese boards after school. And he was like full-time stay-at-home mm-hmm. dad, like mm-hmm. just killing it. Mm-hmm. But because of that, I mean, in three months, I had made my teacher salary in sales. Oh my gosh. And that was doing it on the side. You know, that was doing it after school. So I was like, Okay, let's let's pause here. If I was not teaching and doing this full time, what could it be? Yeah. Like, if I had hired people, if I had a store, if I was able to mass produce these, like what could the potential be here? You know what I mean? So that was kind of the turning point, realizing that this didn't have to have a cap, that it, it's felt like with my teaching career, it had a cap, like it had just a finite there's only so far you can go yeah you know there's only so far you can go you know Dana and I were both teachers for a while we understand that that cap (laughs) yes right it's like there's only so much higher I can climb and this has seemed like limitless yeah so so I think what's so unique about your story is um one this the the crazy success so quickly but what we have been following and what we've always kind of been watching and seeing you like pour your heart into this because this is you are more of like an Instagram 
influencer we would say of a business you're like a your cheese business, influencer yeah but your your <laughs> business stands on its own two feet but you have massive followings you literally built the business via instagram right like it's like an right. instagram it's like an actual business made via instagram like not just right. for the purpose of the gram right like an influencer but you're a business that was made because of that which i think is amazing like literally amazing but what comes yeah. with it is some pretty harsh critics Mm-hmm. And I know you've, I know you've been in like had a couple, some really tough things. So if you were to go back in, in October 1st of 2019, what would you tell mm-hmm. yourself now about these things that you've been going through? Oh, wow. I think honestly, I'm, I'm just so much happier now, even with the like random criticisms, I'm just so much happier doing something I love now than I was so I think just part of reaching a lot of people, part of having a larger following is just that you are opening yourself up to more criticism and more critique. And I was talking to my dad about this and he was like, I think you're just so positive and upbeat that anytime you give a negative review about anything, people literally take it personally. Like, my opinion about things affects people personally. And that's like very hard for me to wrap my mind around. Cause I'm like, is my opinion, like, why does it matter? It shouldn't affect yeah. you. Like people very much internalize it as like a personal dig at them. If I say something that I don't like that they do like, you know, I'm learning. So how do you, how do you keep I it think- real? Then how do you like keep your authenticity yet still be cognizant of the fact that you could step on somebody's toes with your opinion but yet we still all want to know what the right cheese to buy is and where not to go (laughs) I'm still learning a lot honestly I think if you would have told me that I would have gotten so much backlash over telling people I did not like to shop at Aldi last week I would have been shocked like I thought I was posting something that was very innocent and Um, you know, I think there's a difference in like one or two trolls coming at you and, you know, telling you you're being a jerk and that's fine. Like that's different, but it was like a lot of people coming forward and not even necessarily being mean, but just saying, Hey, this hurts like because of X, Y, Z. And I was like, wow. Okay. Like, thank you. I need to address this, you know? I don't know. I I always want to encourage people. I've always felt called to be vulnerable in the middle of a process. And so the reason I post apology videos crying on Instagram is because I, that's how I move on, you know, and I want to show people a real human being who makes mistakes and owns them and apologizes for them and then does better, you know, I think that's all we can ask for right now. I'm, I hope people know that by following me, I'm probably not going to be perfect all the time. And man, I hope I recover well, you know, but I think my mistakes are just like any, I, I can't imagine influencers who have like millions of followers, like any mistake you make is just publicly broadcast. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. I love that. Crazy. I really love that. Totally think that's hard. We we had a small mm-hmm. issue kind of similar where we were promoting a oh yeah, a conference called the Sip and Bitch, which was just basically like 
come have a drink and let's talk about the ins and outs, the positives and the negatives of business, right? We're just going to get together, bitch, have a event session, whatever. So we promoted it on all of our platforms. We promoted it on Hustle and Gather. We promoted it on C&D and on the Bradford. And somebody DM'd us back that was appalled that we would write such a word on the Bradford's Instagram. Like that is not the venue that she wants her daughter to get married at. That is not what she signed up for. You guys are classier than that. And we really had to take a second back, like to think about it. Like the, your first inclination is like, who are you, right? Like, who are you to tell me mm-hmm. like how I, what I should and should not do on my platform, right? Please right. unfollow if you must. But then we kind of like thought about it and we're like, well, there's a lot of people who do get married to Bradford and the deep South, like the Bible Belt, who probably hold similar opinions and probably are not voicing them. And maybe we do need to be a little bit more careful about our brand image on certain platforms, right? But it was definitely like, what? Like my initial gut reaction was just very like defensive. Like, don't don't mm-hmm. tell me what I can and cannot say. You're not my mother, you know? Right. And it's this line too of like, I, I always get feedback. It's like, we follow you because you're so authentic and you're so honest and vulnerable. And then it's like, when I'm not saying what you want to hear, right. you don't want that. <laughs> and so how vulnerable do you want me to be? Like, how honest do you want me to be? And I have to realize too, there are people on here who watch me who literally feel like they know me. They're like, we're best friends. Like you're, it makes me feel so happy, but I don't know them, you know, and they only know the me that I'm portraying. Right. Right. And so it's this hard line of like, my humor isn't always going to come across perfectly as opposed to like some of my best friends who know me in person, right. you know? But don't you feel like too, like we were, I remember I was at this, um, listening to a podcast about Gen Zers and how it's so important for that generation is authenticity. Like they really want to be authentic. They want to be authentic. They want to buy from people that are authentic. And then you hear these stories and you're like, do they really want authenticity though? Like, mm. do they really want it? Or do they just want the perceived authenticity that fits into their narrative of their life and makes them feel good. And at that point, how do you know? Like, yeah. How do you know what they're actually looking for? And and right. that's one of the things that immediately popped in my head when I saw your uh, Aldi drama. <laughs> and I was like, your cheery apology. <laughs> I I personally don't love Aldi's. Like not for any reason other than there's not really one near me and it the store stresses me out because I don't know where anything <laughs> is. And it's just not my favorite place. Like I'm a Harris Tita girl through and through or Food Lion. Like those are my places. But um, so I didn't think anything of it because I was not like personally connected to it. But like I have a friend mm-hmm. who I didn't know followed you, followed you. And she was like, I love Aldi's. Like I can't believe she doesn't like Aldi's. Not that she was mad about it, but she was just like appalled that someone was not like in love with all these because she was so deeply in love with this grocery store that like saves her so much money all the time or whatever. And I was like, it's just so bizarre. Right. But I just can't understand why you would be like not understanding or the public not being able to understand that, yes, I would buy my canned corn from Aldi's, but I might not buy my cheese for my charcuterie board at Aldi's, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'll get the celery, but not the manchego. I don't understand, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of people, uh, which I had no idea, I've never viewed Aldi as like a lower Mm -hmm. income store. 
the one I would go to is directly next to the Trader Joe's. So it's, you know, the, the two have never, I've never been like, oh, you can only go in here if you make above a certain income. Right. You only go here if you right, make right. below. Yeah. You know? So when I had people messaging me saying, you know, literally this is the, like, I know a lot of people who this is the only place they can afford to shop. And I'm like, I just, that did not register to me. And so it was more of people accusing me of the direct quote was shitting on someone's livelihood. And I hate that. Like mm-hmm. if I would even be associated with that, that makes me want to, and it was multiple people that said that, that said it sounded like I was being self-righteous and saying I was better than Aldi and I was better than the people who shopped there. And that's where it was like, uh, wow, I've never associated this with lower income. So I need to address that. And that's where I felt probably the most guilt and the most shame was like, that's like the furthest thing from my heart, you know, but yeah. And maybe that is my privilege and that's where I need to acknowledge it too. Like the fact that I don't associate it, maybe that's because I'm a middle-class white woman <laughs> who has just never associated that. Never had yeah. to think about you know? where you shop. Yeah. You just pick it for convenience. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So I know, because we've talked a little bit a little bit about your backstory, that this isn't the first time that Instagram's gotten you in trouble and put some stuff out there that maybe you didn't want really out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, I think a theme in my life <laughs> that I'm learning, like ever since... I have like embraced authenticity and vulnerability. I think my whole life, I don't know how to be a fake person. Mm-hmm. It's just never, I can't do it. I can't like be someone I'm not. And so in the spirit of that, I tend to overshare maybe, or just like give more honest opinions about things or try to be different. I'm a hardcore Enneagram four. Okay. So I thrive when I feel different or feel unique in some way. Um, <laughs> this is a real story that my dad reminded me of. He was like, hey, remember this? This has always been an issue with you. And I was like, oh, thanks, dad. Um, I applied to be in the National Honor Society when I was a junior in high school. And you had to write a paper saying why you wanted to be in it, mm-hmm. right? And so I wanted my paper to be different. I knew everybody's was going to be the same. You had to like write three reasons why you wanted to be in it. So I write these two beautiful paragraphs. And the third paragraph I say is because we get a pen and I would wear that pen everywhere. <laughs> I'd wear it to the movies. And I'm like thinking I'm being funny and being sarcastic. Right. Like, oh, they'll like it because it's different, you know? Um, no, I almost got kicked out. Like I, the lady like read it to me. I had to like write this apology letter. So you were like making fun of it? Yeah, she thought I was like genuinely making fun of it. And I was just trying to be different. I was trying to be a different sort of application. And so I literally, I made straight A's throughout all of high school. I never got in any detention, never got Saturday school, nothing. I was mortified. Like, so this is a theme in my life, you know, um, where I write something that maybe gets misinterpreted. So like, I mean, this kind of all started cheese boarding because I almost got fired from teaching. Yes. I remember this. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, because I had, gosh, all your listeners are going to be like, wow, she is a hot mess. Um, but if she, if this hot mess can make it, so can <laughs> you. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. true. Um, 
Yeah. So I had written a Facebook post just about how hard teaching was. I had posted a picture of me crying, just saying teaching was hard. I was feeling burned out, felt like the kids didn't want to try. And that was really discouraging. And my uh, supervisor did not take too kindly to that post because it started going viral. And like, I was not insulting the school at all. I was not. It was so real. Mm -hmm. It was so, it was literally what teachers go through. Yeah. And I was just kind of baffled at the response from someone who had known me for seven years and like not knowing my heart. And so it was basically like, you can take this last year or you can like start becoming passionate about Latin. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not passionate about Latin. I don't think that's going to change. I I do love teaching. Like I would not have written this post if I didn't love teaching, right? If I was apathetic to it, it wouldn't affect me. Like I wouldn't care. So it was just really a rough conversation. It was a rough beginning of the year because I just didn't feel appreciated as a teacher. I didn't feel wanted there. After seven years of being a very well-liked teacher and getting really good feedback. And so it was just, it was rough. I mean, she's born and came along as an outlet because I literally felt silenced. Like I felt like I couldn't write. Well, I think the problem was, is you were like, uh, about eight months too early. Like given that post being written in April, you would have gotten a lot of like, hell yes and amens, right? Right. And seeing what teachers are posting on Instagram, on TikTok now of like just how hard teaching is in general. I look at that kind of stuff and I'm like, they're not getting, how are they not getting fired? Like how, what are you saying? It's like all these teachers having breakdowns and like going viral. And I was like, really? (laughs) Like Before your time. I was pre-pandemic, you know? (laughs) It really did come along at the right time, though. But I think the theme of being vulnerable and having it being willing to be vulnerable means also being willing to have it be misinterpreted, honestly. Do you feel like that? Because I'm a, you, you're so you're in the process, you're about to open the storefront. And when this airs, yeah. it, you will have the storefront open. Do you feel like that knowledge of what it feels like to be vulnerable and authentic and for that to be misconstrued? Because now you're talking about a lot more customer service because you're going to be more face-to-face. Do you think that's going to make you a better boss to your employees? I hope so. I've always wanted to find a way to marry business life and vulnerability. And I don't think it's seen very much. I'm very tired of people saying that like, people who have emotions can't be good business people. And I have plenty of emotions and I believe I have a kick-ass business. You know what I mean? Like, I think I can be both and I think I can make good business decisions and also be in tune with my emotions. You know what I mean? Oh, I Um, feel that very deeply. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I think I think a lot of it comes part with being a female too. I think you a lot of times you're just characterized as this one thing, like oh you're just upset because you know you're emotional because you're a woman, and I'm like no no I'm emotional because I'm a human. It has nothing to mm-hmm. do with the fact that I'm a a female. It's just I'm a human who cares mm-hmm. deeply about what I do. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think too. Like you are in a a service industry. You're like you're trying to serve your clients and. Uh, I think anytime you're in a like client facing 
business or industry that there is some emotional component. People have to feel that connection. They need to feel like you care about them, like you care about them through cheese, like we care about people through a building, (laughs) you know, and so there is like an emotional component. And they say there's no place for emotion in business. But I think that's absolutely not the truth. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. caring and servicing someone well requires an emotional response on your end. Right. And even a part of me like gets terrified of even saying it out loud because, I mean, for generations, we've been taught that emotion and business do not go hand in hand. And it makes you weak. It makes you a bad leader. It makes you like make poor decisions, like all this stuff. And I'm so sick of that. (laughs) And I hate that. That limits so many people and limits so many personalities from pursuing what they want to pursue because they don't think they can do it because they have emotions or feelings or whatever. And I think there's a way to have emotions without letting them rule your life. You know what I mean? And that's why I felt like it was important to do what I did last week of post a video of me crying and apologizing and saying, this is what I'm feeling right now. And I'm moving on, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to sit and dwell in it. I'm not going to like be depressed for the next week. Okay. We're going to move on to other things and we're going to move past this. And the only way I can heal and move on and be better is if I feel the emotion, I cry about it. I apologize and we move on, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And you learn from it. Right. You do better. Yeah. Right. Is there something in your life that balances you? Like, I know for me, uh, I've always been characterized as a highly emotional person. And I have been told that my entire life. I have been told I'm moody. I've been told I'm intense. I've been told that I have too many emotions. And so I've always been afraid of them. Like, I'm afraid of what they are. And so for me, my balance is my husband. And I'll go home and I'll be like, I need to tell you this. I need you to tell me if I'm crazy. Like, am I crazy? Because I don't trust myself because I've been told that my emotions aren't valid. And they aren't real mm-hmm. and they're too much. Is there something in your life that helps you balance knowing like I should be upset about this. I should just let this go. Right. Mine is my husband for sure. He is like the most chill human being. I don't think he ever gets angry about anything. Like the times I've seen him angry are just so few or like truly up in arms about something. It's just not it does not happen that much and so there are often times where I come in and I'm like I feel less bad he's like okay cool (laughs) I hear that you know I think he might be a little off in this area or he might be like no you're right that's dumb I'll be mad at that with you you know and we'll be mad for a second but his mad is always you know just a tone lower than mine so I kind of come down to his level and I'm like okay he, he very much talks reason to me when I feel a little crazy. Yeah. But I love that. It's so it's it's some it is so settling to have that in your life where you you feel like mm-hmm. you have what I just call my steady. Like when I'm yes. sometimes when I'm at work, it's like you're on this rocking boat and you get home and it's just like it's steady and like right. I can process things now and get back to like not wanting to kill everybody. So it's great. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Any way to keep homicide at bay, I think, is yeah. <laughs> a useful and useful endeavor. Yeah. So yeah, um, I totally love your story. We love like how fast it just kind of like popped in our market. It's amazing. What would you tell somebody who wants 
to do something similar, like not necessarily charcuterie boards, but just something they're passionate about. They're feeling creatively stifled. They found something that they love and they want to maybe use Instagram or some other platform to kind of really launch it. Like what's your advice, best advice? Yeah, I think um, become an expert at your craft, whatever it is, like learn all you can about it. I feel like I know a lot, but I know I don't know all the things. And so I I read a lot about cheese right now in my life. I'm doing just lots of research and lots of eating cheese Mm -hmm. to figure out what's good and what I like. And job I would love. um, Yeah, yeah, it's really hard. I take one for the team every day. Um, But it's from the place of I'm not just making these boards, hoping things go together. I am like trying to become an expert at it. Sure. Um, So one question we love to ask all of our people. And maybe you've already answered this within the podcast, but like, what was your biggest, like, oh shit moment where you were like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Like, I'm not sure if this is <laughs> Or like, right this is about to fall apart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, I mean, after I'd been doing this three months, so started October 2019, we started looking, you know, for licenses and like things we needed to be able to do it. Like we became a legitimate business. We got the business insurance, all that stuff, but we couldn't find any like permits we needed because we were never dealing with raw foods. And so it was just so vague about what we needed. And every time we go to apply, it was like, oh yes, you're cooking out of your home. We're like, no, we're not doing that. And regardless on New Year's Eve of 2019, a competitor reported us to the health department because they knew we were working out of our home. And I was like, what like they they're an hour away (laughs) like I wouldn't even consider them a competitor but they literally told us like yeah whoever does the work should reap the benefits like and you should not reap the benefit like because you're not doing this correctly you shouldn't reap any of the benefits and I was like okay cool thanks so we went back and forth with the health department for the longest time and we're like, okay, what can we do to become legal? Like help us become legal. And they were like, you need a commercial kitchen. And I was like, okay. So we literally spent January through March looking for a commercial kitchen. And this was me like going into stores and bakeries and shops and being like, Hey, y'all interested in sharing your kitchen? I'll pay you rent. <laughs> like talking to the owner. I need to arrange and, like, some cheese. <laughs> yeah. Like literally door to door salesman for myself mm-hmm. and being like, Hey, so how long do you guys use your kitchen? Is it free like during any hours? And um, can I get the health department to come in here and verify that? And also, can I pay you guys? And like, <laughs> like I did that throughout any restaurant or business that had a kitchen in downtown Cary, I went into. <laughs> so embarrassing now that I think about it, but it's fine. I was just desperate. Yeah. Then COVID hit. So all tours, everything was shut. Like we had tours for some commercial kitchen. Everything was shut down. And I was like, well my husband still doesn't have a job. Like I have to still keep making cheese boards for our livelihood. So we just kind of kept going and the health department seemed otherwise occupied (laughs) with COVID understandable. And then we started the process of getting a storefront and talking about that. So that started in May. And once we knew that was coming, we were just like, okay, now we have a plan and they know our plan. And we're very legal now, yeah. praise the Lord. <laughs> so COVID really bought you some time. COVID bought us some time. I know a lot of people say it was like a big, like it, it destroyed so many businesses, but I really say in a lot of ways, it was probably our saving grace. Yeah. 
amazing. So we're recording this right before your new storefront launches. I yes. know. It's so, so soon, exciting. So soon. In Apex? In Apex. I'm sitting in it right now. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so what question would you want to ask your future self oh after the storefront's open? How many years down the road are we talking? Uh, let's say your first year. First year, I'd want to know, Courtney, have you hired any more people? <laughs> and are your hours extended? Have you vacationed at all <laughs> this year? <laughs> have you taken some time off with your family? And I would like to know that we had a higher fiscal year in 2021 than we did in 2020. Does it seem basically reevaluating the storefront in general? Like, does it seem like this was a good idea? Are we, are we on a positive trajectory here? You know, are we? Yeah. Or do we feel encouraged by this past year? I'm sure it'll be great. And you're right next to the co-working station, correct? Oh, yeah. Right across the, the yeah. parking lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like a perfect spot. Like I can imagine totally people having like when COVID is gone because we're all going to profess it. It's going to be gone in 2022. It's going to be gone. Uh, it's yes. be gone. But when it's gone, people are getting a, a charcuterie board for their business meetings and oh, yeah. whatnot. And it's right off 540. Like it's such an easy get on, get off. So just convenient. So convenient. Really great spot. And it's so close to the Bradford, actually. I want to say it it's is. like 15 minutes. It's yes. close. It's very close. It's, mm-hmm. solid, it's a solid 15, 18 on a weekday, 15 on a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad at oh, all. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it has been so much fun chatting with you. I love, I just love your story. I love how authentic and real you are. I know that sometimes it gets you in hot water, but I think it's what fortifies <laughs> you. And I think it's what everyone needs. Everyone needs that reality that you aren't a robot. Like, and you're not sitting yeah. behind your phone and you, I'm sure you're thinking about what you're writing, but it's not so contrived that we miss who Courtney is. Cause mm-hmm. I fell in love with your stories before Raleigh Cheesy. My favorite one was about the <laughs> soup when you tried to make soup yeah. one day for your husband and it was really oh, bad. It was a disaster. Yeah. I remember that yeah. still. It was so oh, bad. I just, I related so much on that level. It was so funny. It was awful. I know, but you've been being you for years now, even before Raleigh Cheesy. Forever. So I, I love that you are uh, are so successful, and you're going to be amazing. The storefront's going to be amazing. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it, and I'm so glad you guys had me on this today. It was so fun. Yes, thank you so much. I love all your stories. Thank you, everyone, for gathering us today to talk about the hustle. To check out Raleigh Cheesy, visit RaleighCheesy.com, follow them on Instagram at Raleigh Cheesy, or check out their new storefront in Apex. And to learn more about our hustle, visit cndevents.com, thebradfordnc.com, and hustleandgather.com, or follow us on Instagram at cndevents, at thebradfordnc, or at hustleandgather. And if you like this show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. This podcast is a production of EarFluence. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. And we'll talk to you next time on Hustle and Gather.